Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes, today's Clark Rage is about what you face if you end up going to a hospital or a hospital emergency room, how they shred your wallet and what should be done about it. And coming up yet later, different angle on medical It is amazing cancers that used to be a death sentence that people are surviving. But there's something you got to be prepared and aware of to make that happen for yourself. So some of the most interesting people drama we ever have on our show involves when someone lends money to a family member or friend co-signs for a family member or friend and in the most um, difficult of circumstances where someone has given their credit card to someone who is now an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend and they're left picking up the pieces. So Bankrate did a survey about What happens when you lend money to a family member or friend, co-sign or give them your credit card? Well, if you lend money to a family member or friend, you actually give them money, do you know four out of ten people say they didn't get paid back? Now remember this. Somebody didn't come to the bank of friend or family unless they couldn't borrow money elsewhere, right? So that borrower is ultra high risk. There are times we will lend to a friend or family member out of sense of obligation or love. But follow my rule on this. Actually, it's a two-part rule. One, if you ever lend money to a family member or friend, it's one time only if you can afford it. And two, in your own mind, look at it as a gift, not a loan. If you're giving money to somebody as a supposed loan, that's money that you'd be harmed if they don't pay it back, do not lend them the money. Say you'd love to, you cannot afford it. Second, if somebody wants you to co-sign a loan for them, Know that it can devastate your credit, ruin it for years to come because you co-sign and you think, oh, they're going to make those payments and you don't even know they have it or they were late making them. You are as liable for it as they are. But the worst part, they get the pleasure of whatever they were able to purchase with the money you co-signed for, for whatever they're getting, a car or whatever. You get no pleasure. You only get responsibility and potential pain. How often pain? According to the bank rate survey, 35% of the time you're going to end up with pain as somebody who co-signs. More than one in three are going to blow up on the person who co-signs. Think about that. And one other thing. That friendship you have with that friend or 
with the family member, you got about a one in four chance that that friendship or that relationship with a relative blows up because you lent them money or you co-signed for something. So this one's a tough one because there are times out of the goodness of our heart, we want to help somebody out. So this is a simple rule. Never, ever co-sign for somebody. If you can't afford to lend them the money yourself, you can definitely not afford to co-sign. If you can afford to lend them money yourself and be the actual bank, do that instead of co-signing a loan for them because the risk is the same but worse with the co-signing than it is with you just lending them the money. When you lend somebody money, if you do, always have a formal note. You want it formalized. What are the terms? What's the interest rate? The IRS requires a minimum interest rate. It's extremely low, but you can set whatever you want. It's got to be the equivalent of kind of like arm's length, but not really. The IRS allows lower than that. And it should be for a specific term with payments due at a specific time. Because if it's wishy-washy and not clear like that, you're not going to get the money. Just understand, you would be the luckiest person in the world if you ever saw the money back. Greg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Greg. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Greg. How can I be of service to you? I had a question about this. Uh, I heard on a recent podcast, you said the fiduciary rule is out kind of in passing, and it sparked my interest because I, I have a fiduciary, I think, and I wanted to know what that meant to me. Does that mean I don't, they're not, they don't have to tell me the truth anymore? Or what does that mean exactly? Okay, so what a great question. So there was a long-running battle over whether there would be a fiduciary rule, meaning that somebody who gave you financial advice and the fiduciary rule that the battle was about was specifically about retirement, because that's where people can get hurt the worst, is they end up in retirement without the money they depend on to live because some salesperson took advantage of them. So there was a fiduciary rule that had been proposed, and it's dead. It did not happen. So when you go to somebody for financial advice and guidance on investments or on retirement accounts, they are only taking on the legal responsibility of being a fiduciary if they, in fact, hold themselves out to be and essentially you sign up with them as a fiduciary, meaning that their job is to put your interests first. Now, if if you go to a full commission stock brokerage, odds are you will not be dealing with a fiduciary. If you go to an insurance company, you will not be dealing with a fiduciary. If you go to an independent financial planning firm, it could be one that they are fiduciaries or it could be one they're not, where they're taking kickbacks, they're, they're selling you particular things because of the money that's in it for them, not what's best for you. So you are the one who's left with the burden under the law of making sure that whoever you're dealing with has signed with you and disclosed to you that they are a fiduciary. Okay. That's a relief. Thank you. 
And generally, with a fiduciary, you're going to be paying them, uh, in most situations, 1% fee on the amount of money you have with them to provide unbiased advice. So instead of them earning commissions, who knows how, you're paying them 1% of the money you have invested with them each year for the advice they give you. Mm-hmm. But just because you pay 1% doesn't mean they're a fiduciary. You could be paying somebody 1%, and on top of it, they're still taking kickbacks behind the scene. Right. So that's why they have to contractually enter with you that they are, in fact, a fiduciary. Yeah, and they did. So I, that's good to hear. Thank you. Sure. Appreciate that. And I understand you wanted uh, me to explain also ETFs that I haven't done a good job of explaining those. Yeah, mutual funds versus ETFs. Why, why are ETFs so much better? Well, they're not necessarily better. Um, an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, is another way of buying and selling uh, market basket, usually a version of an index fund can be either sold as a mutual fund or as an exchange-traded fund. And sometimes people buy ETFs because the management fee for it may be lower than its sister mutual fund. But many times they'll be equivalent. Um, The other advantage with an ETF is the value, this is for people who trade frequently, the value can change constantly through the day where with a mutual fund, the value is set once each day, but or an index fund once each day. But um, there's so, for, for somebody who's a long-term investor, there's so little difference now that really the key, whether you go with an, an ETF for a type of investment you're doing, where let's say it's um, international bonds, and you have a choice between buying an ETF for it or buying an index fund or mutual fund, it really just depends on what the ongoing expenses are, which one you would best be served by. Okay. That's a good explanation. Thank you. Sure. You know, did you hear how much I hemmed and hawed trying to explain that in something (laughs) that just would hopefully be investing English? Yeah, it's still a little fuzzy, but it uh, seems like I should be looking, if it's a lower fee, maybe I go with it. If it's not, then just not a whole lot of difference. Yeah, so basically, and one other way to think of it is an ETF is a mutual fund that trades like a stock. Okay. And I don't yeah. know if that helped at all either. <laughs> but the goal with investing is to be widely diversified. And whether you use an index fund, a mutual fund, or an ETF, the idea is you want your money widely spread out. Your lowest costs are going to be with an index fund or with an ETF version of an index. And most people start the base of a portfolio with a total stock market index where you own little pieces of pretty much all publicly traded companies in the United States or the substantial majority of them, or they'll start with the 500 largest stocks known as a 500 stock index fund or S&P 500 fund, and that's the base, and you can buy that either as a fund or as an ETF, 
And generally, there's not going to be a lot of difference in cost. In fact, with Fidelity, the cost is lower with their index fund variety than it is with the ETF. And Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Brian, you got a question about renting a car. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's right. I, um, next month, I'm going to be um, taking a vacation. And normally, we drive. This time, we decided to fly. And, of course, now we're getting inundated with all kinds of great offers for um, rental cars. And I'm just trying to get a little handle on what's the what do I want to look for with regard to renting a car and just some good tips for that. So my advice with renting a car is that you be careful who the company is. That yeah. you stay away from smaller UFO rental cars, especially in Orlando and Las Vegas, which are overwhelmingly leisure markets. There are a lot of fly-by-night rental car companies that you have to and be that's wary where we're going. of. We're going to go to the Orlando area. Okay, so I want you to stick with a well-known and recognized brand rental car company. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like you to book the best rate you can find with one of them now, and then the week of travel, reshop that car rental. Okay. Because car rental rates most often drop significantly the week of travel. And are you a Costco member? No. Okay, and I'm going to say this for other people who are. Costco's rental car program through Costco Travel is fantastic and often will be the lowest rate in the market for people renting a car. I Mm -hmm. also would recommend you check out autoslash.com. Have you ever heard me mention that? No, I haven't. With Autoslash, they'll shop the market, tell you the best rate available now, and then they automatically will continually reshop your car rental till the time you pick it up. Yeah. So that's a really wow. great advantage with Autoslash. And do you know sure. the whole um, rental car insurance thing? Well, I, I've done this in the past where I don't usually take theirs because I'm covered with our policy. Perfect. And right. one other thing I'd like yeah. you to do before you go, check out the credit cards you carry. See if any of them have backup coverage that fills in whatever your own automobile insurance doesn't cover. And then you can avoid all those ripoff fees that the car rental companies try to push on you at the counter. I've been tilting at windmills lately as Don Quixote talking to people in the hospital industry, administrators of hospitals and trade association folks, about the problems with the way hospitals do billing. And, you know, they filed suit against the Trump administration the second they proposed that hospitals were going to have to disclose prices to you up front. There's a story on Kaiser Health News about one of their writers who, uh, whose husband was injured in an accident and what went on with the bills at the hospital that are just unreal. We have a problem in America with the cost of health care that we hear so much about prescription drugs and all that. The cost problem is not doctors. 
It's not nurses. And prescription drugs, minor part of the problem. The big problem is rapidly escalating hospital prices. And that's why hospitals are fighting so hard against doing what any other industry does. And that's telling you up front what something's going to cost before you buy the service or product. And we need to fix this if we're going to get health care costs under control in the United States. And this article from Kaiser Health News just makes my head shake. We need to force hospitals to do the right thing. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where we post bargains for you day and night. So I was just talking few minutes ago about the problems with what it costs at a hospital and nobody knows and after the fact you get all those crazy bills but let's talk about something good about medicine there was a report from the american cancer society that was talking about the decline in deaths from cancers in the united states And it shows the decline in death rates over one generation and then just over the last couple of years for several major cancers, ones that take out more of us than like just about anything else. And I want to tell you the trends because the trends are our friend. Number one, the cancer that kills the most men and women is lung cancer. And the number of people dying from it in just one generation has declined precipitously. I I don't know there's been an improvement like that with any other illness in such a short period of time. I can't think of anything. And reason number one is the reduction in the number of people who smoke. We're down to 13% of Americans who smoke. If you're one of that 13% of American adults who smoke, this should be something you really think about because cause and effect is clear as could be. There are people who get lung cancer who never smoked, but the big problem is for people who smoke. But in addition to the improvement from that, there's been great improvement in survivability of lung cancer because of the fact that people who have early detection of what starts off as a symptomless cancer have a very high chance of survival. Those who are never checked out, don't go to the doctor, all that, are at great risk. And obviously, if you smoke or have smoked, you should make this a priority in your life because you can take something that could be a death sentence and make it just a bump in the road. Second, colon cancer. A lot of people don't have a regular uh, medical professional they go to. They're not on a cycle of having a colonoscopy. They're not that bad. They can save your life. That early detection is everything with colon cancer. And the death rates from it because of an increased number of people being screened is way down. But guess what? The fatality rate is 
50% higher in men than women. Why? Because men don't like to go to the doctor. Women are better at taking care of themselves. And so the survival rate with colon cancer, much, much higher with women. And the improvement has been great for both men and women. But the survival rate is much, much better with women just because you're supposed to have colonoscopy every 10 years when you're 50 or older, unless there's a family history and blah, blah, blah. Women are much more likely to do it than men. Um, breast cancer survival rates have gotten better. And with men, massive improvement with prostate cancer. And that's because of new protocols, new treatments. And I saw a USA Today item I don't know if this was related to the American Cancer Society thing, but the survival with melanoma has improved tremendously. And so this is really good news, but it all starts with you having a regular doctor or nurse practitioner or physician assistant that you go to for a visit and I'm at a point in my life that I go for an annual checkup and don't know if that's going to lengthen my life or not, but the battery of tests that I have into gives early warning if there are problems in a number of areas. So this is good news with the survival rates, and I hope that you'll take to heart what I've said about lifestyle, i.e. smoking, and second about if you can't remember the last time you saw a medical professional, maybe that's something you need to change. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mark. Hey, Mark. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Mark. What's up? Well, I have a question uh, for my son. Um, he's He'll be 13 uh, next week, and he's been asking all the fast food restaurants how old he has to be to start working. And there are several of them that at 14, he can work like 15 hours or something like that. And wait, wait, wait. This is information I need with a 14-year-old. I always thought it was age 15. So yeah, he can work know, at 14? I know for a fact, like, he asked Brahms in front of me, and they told him that he could work at 14 for 15 hours. And there's a couple other places that he's asked while he was with his mom, and I'm not sure about what those were, but there was a few of them that oh, told him that right. he could work at 14. My poor son. <laughs> See, you and I talking, it's terrible, because I've always had this thing where I wanted my kids to start working at 15, but now I'm going to push my son a year younger. <laughs> this is good. Thank you. But um, the the question I have, he's he's been watching me as I've I've just started investing. I'm 37, so I'm a little bit behind on that curve. But I I'm I'm starting now, and he's he asked me how much he could have if he started working at 14 and started uh, investing. And so we went online and found an investment calculator and figured up. If he invested 10% from the time he was 14 until the time he was 60, how much he'd have. I don't remember the exact numbers. And he said, well, what if I invested 50% while I'm living at home? And so we went through and did it for 50% from the time he was 14 until the time he was 21. And then dropped it down to 10% after that. And it was like astronomical the amount of money that he would have. 
And so he is like super excited about getting to investing once he gets a job. And I was wondering, I, I am investing on an app based investment and I have my 401k at work and the, the app that I'm using has three different levels and I'm on the first level, which is a dollar a month. So you're using, a, using stash or acorns or which one? Uh, stash. Okay. All right. So I actually have a different suggestion for your son. Okay. I want him to open a Roth IRA and do that with Fidelity Investments. I'd like you to go with him once he gets a job. I'd like you to go to the closest Fidelity office to you and go open an account with him for him. There's okay. no minimum required for their uh, investments. He can open a Roth IRA. He can put in, the max he could put in was is six grand a year. But the beauty with Fidelity, they have uh, what are called the zero funds that have no management fee at all okay. and no commissions. So every penny those calculators you were using would actually be accurate. That Every penny he's got would be 100% invested with no costs being taken by Fidelity. They do this as a way to attract new clients. So taking your son to an investor center would be, I mean, it's high touch. And I like that with uh, you doing that with your 14-year-old versus just having an app. Because also I want him in a Roth because then the money grows tax-free all through the years and is spent tax-free. Yeah, that that's the reason I was calling was because with, with stash it, you know to get a custodial account it's the night you have to bump up to the nine dollars a month and i was wanting to see if there was something that was a better option for that price or if that How about no price you save 108 bucks a year with fidelity better. yeah <laughs> so that's where i'd start do you know um what city do you live in mark um well we're just outside of springfield missouri Okay, I I would guess that Springfield would have a Fidelity office. Okay. If they don't, you can do similar stuff with Charles Schwab, and hopefully one or the other or both have an office you can go to that's a reasonable drive from where you live. All right, thank you very much, sir. All right, and uh, this this is so, this is such a wonderful experience I've had speaking with you that you have a 14 year old who not only is chomping at the bit to work, but also has such a clear path about wanting to save money. And this all is from him that he wants to save money, right? Yes. He, he's seen what I'm doing and you know how when I figured up what I have to save to be able to have a decent retirement and I'm not going to be able to get that right now. And so he's, he's decided that looking at what I have to do now, that it'd be better for him to start when he was younger. And then when we saw the prices, you know, that, that he would have, he was like, oh, my God, yeah, I'm definitely doing this. Well, yeah. this, is, this is great, great, great stuff. Habits that start young that are great habits like this typically become lifetime habits. And your son's going to be in great shape. Rod's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rod. Hey, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Rod. How can I be of service to you? 
Well, um, I got a question regarding, you talk a lot about 403Bs and, and kind of got me thinking a while back. My wife and I both uh, have started our own 403Bs a number of years ago before we had met. And now we're both around between eight to 10 years from retirement. Um, and I'm wondering about whether I should, we should continue to, to fund those. We fund them about 6% each. We each have a mandatory, we're educators, so we have a mandatory 14% that goes to our state retirement. And then in addition to that, we're each putting 6% in our own 403Bs. And I'm All right, so that's impressive. So each of you are saving 20% of your pay. 14 wasn't a choice, but the other 6 is a choice <laughs> you're making. That's really good because you're setting yourselves up to have a good, comfortable retirement. Thank you. And I also want to thank you for the HSA tip because we maxed out our HSA as well. And I've recently stopped using that to pay for my expenses. So I appreciate that tip I heard a while back as well. Well, that so is great. Now, you know, the 403B thing is a national scandal that teachers that we say we value are being ripped off in retirement plans. And the really the only exception I'm aware of is if your 403B plans are with TIA. You ever heard of TIAA? I've heard you talk about them, yes. But that's not who your 403Bs are with. No, and that's not an option we have with my employer. Okay. So then I would say that in these years you have waiting to retirement, your money should go into a Roth IRA for each of you with one of the low-cost companies. Well, that, that's not an option either because of the income that we make. So my question oh, was, you, should you I look exceed at a, the income levels a for a Roth? Yes. Wow. So, so I was asking, should we look at a backdoor Roth? Yes. Okay. Yes. I did call uh, so one you can't, I neither of you can have any money in a traditional IRA, though. Do either of you we have? We do not. Okay. No, we do not. We've just been doing 403Bs up to now. So definitely do the um, backdoor Roth. And if you've heard me say, just go either look on Investopedia or, or Google how a backdoor Roth works and do that as a way to get around the income limits and do your Roth IRA. Because the 6%, how much money is that uh, effectively per year for each of you? Uh, 7200 about. All right. And are either of you past age 50? I Yes, I just turned 50 this year and my wife is 48. All right. So you're able to do seven. She's able to do six in a backdoor Roth. And I would do that and discontinue contributing to the 403B with the high costs. Okay, and just let that ride out. I did, was able to call another place yesterday. I had a quick question if you have one second. The one I currently have, I know I'm paying around 2% management. Um, and I did find that someone I talked to uh, the last couple of days that has one. That, uh, it's a 403B also that our employer, to a company that our employer provides. And he said they have a tax shelter custodial account where it would, it would save me about a 1% from what I'm paying now. All right. What I'd like so you I'm to do... I'm looking at you rolling to, it into that one. But yeah, but I the problem is you have, you have what's known as a surrender charge in that 403B. I do not. I've already, I'm have already. i good with that. Great. That. Then do this instead. Call TIA, okay. T-I-A-A, and tell them you okay. want to move your 403B from the company it's with to them. But what if my employer, they only have a certain list that I can use. No, no, no. If you have oh, money I'm not that... not providing anymore. That's right. Right. So right. the money you already have, you can move to TIA into one of their low-cost plans, 
And then moving forward, do your money through the backdoor Roth and you'll get your costs down on everything moving forward. And I'd like you to look at doing that um, backdoor Roth with Vanguard probably is the best lowest cost for you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Clark.com slash ask. That's where you post a question for me and we answer the many different ways. If you want me to answer your question, there's a box to check. Otherwise, One of the things that happens is producer Joel asks your question for you. All right, Clark. Steven has a question. He says, do both a husband and a wife need to sign up for identity theft monitoring? And do both need to freeze their credit as well? Yeah, so your identities are separate. So monitoring, I'm not a big fan of. Doing credit freeze is much more effective. Uh, If you think of it this way, credit monitoring is kind of like having a burglar alarm at a house where... um, when you do credit freeze, it's more like you've made your house Fort Knox. That's not impenetrable, but impenetrable, but would be hard to break into. I have the steps that you and your wife each can freeze your credit files. You have to do it three times with each of the three major credit bureaus, and it'll take you like maybe a total of 15 minutes to freeze with all three. It's free. Whenever you need to thaw it, it's free. If you do want to set up free credit monitoring, though, set up a Credit Karma account first before you freeze your credit files, and then you're going to have access to both things you're talking about at no cost. All right, Clark, and Katrina says, how do I find the best no-fee work-from-home companies? So I always worry about this area, and I love the way you asked the question, Katrina. I have a guide for you on Clark.com. We updated it late in the fall and we go through and we do the best we can to figure out what are legitimate work at home opportunities. So if you go to Clark.com, just put in the search box, work from home, skip past all the ads that show up and then click on our guide and you should be good to go. You're listening to the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.